Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right, Foundry Church, I could hear you guys singing all the way where I am this morning in Kentucky. So great job worshiping and, and providing worship to our Lord this morning. And before we, we continue, let me, let me ask you this question. When I mention the Mona Lisa, or say the Scream, or Impression Sunrise, what comes to your mind? What's the first thing you think of? <laughs> now, if you thought or said, hey, those are all famous paintings, good job, right? You're correct, they are. And the funny thing is, is they actually have a couple of other things in common as well, right? The, the first is, is something that we probably all um, can guess is that they are tremendously valuable, right? Priceless works of art, we could say, right? Treasures of art that are worth millions and millions. Now, the second thing that they have in common is that at one point or another, the original paintings of those three paintings had been stolen, right? For example, take a look at the Mona Lisa up there on your screen. All right, the Mona Lisa was painted by no other than Leonardo da Vinci in the 16th century. And in 1911, a museum worker walked out of the Louvre with the Mona Lisa under his apron. And it took, get this, two years before the thief was caught trying to sell the painting. He later expressed to authorities that he thought this masterpiece belonged in Italy instead of France. And so that's why he was trying to to sell it and steal it. Right? Now, The Scream by Edvard Munch was painted in the early 1900s. Right? And in 2004, kind of recently, The Scream was ripped off a museum wall by armed robbers. Now, fortunately, it, it was recovered and restored to its original um, shape and size. Now, Impression Sunrise was painted by Claude Monet in late... 1800s, and it is one of my favorite paintings by one of my favorite artists. And in 1985, armed robbers stormed a museum in Paris and they took the painting. Right? It was recovered by French police five years later. Now, Foundry Church, right? Christmas was just yesterday, like we've already said, right? And I cannot believe that it is over. But I wanted to remind you of what an amazing and precious treasure this first Christmas brought to all of us, all of us humans. And what we should be thinking about this week, right, as we uh, families are gathering together at one year's end and enter into another year. Right. So let me let me put it all into context like this right? as our planning, as our preparation and commitments reach a, a fevered pitch yesterday, I don't want this, right? Take a look. I don't want the real treasure of Christmas to be stolen out from under you and your family. All right, especially, as I said, as we end one year and begin another this week. All right, so the point of Christmas, so, so we're clear. After all, is that God came, right? He came into this world, Emmanuel, Christ with us, to dwell with us, to live with us, to do life in community with us, so that we could dwell, live, do community with him forever. 
So as John in the Gospels reminds us in the very first chapter of his book, he says this. Take a look, right? The Word was God. And then if you jump to verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. <laughs> so as you and your family are, are cleaning up the mess from yesterday, all the wrapping paper and all the leftovers and maybe even cleaning up from a family fight, and hopefully now that's all over, you're taking a breath. Right? And having a quiet day with family. That's what this morning at the Foundry Church is all about. Or at the very least, just a quiet moment as you're, as you're watching this, this service right? and participating. I wanted to help us preserve and to protect the real treasure and meaning of the holiday by looking at the story of the Magi, the wise men. Right? You, you've heard the account of the Magi or, or these wise guys many times, right? The, the image of them are in our heads. And it, that, if we're honest, that image may not line up with what's in the Bible. In fact, I bet many of you are thinking of three guys standing around the manger with a, a camel in the background, right? You might be looking at one set in your living room, nativity scene right now, three guys with big beards and a camel for whatever reason. Now, if that's what you're looking at, I got news for you, right? We don't know how many of them there were, right? We don't know if they had long beards and, and they definitely were not at the stable in Bethlehem, so... <laughs> I'm sorry to burst any bubbles that are out there. So this morning, let's get the actual picture that the Bible paints. Right, if you have your Bible with you or whoever is in the middle of the couch, because you're in the middle, you got to open it up to Matthew chapter 2. And one of you, go ahead and hit pause and read out the verses. Right, So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hit the pause button and read that together as a family this morning. Right. Welcome back. After reading that story, right, we can see three different reactions from different characters that are in that story and how they react to the good news of Jesus. And I want to take just a quick look at them this morning. Right. After encountering the, the Magi, Herod, the king of the time, called the chief priests and the teachers of the law together and asked them where the Messiah, Jesus, was supposed to be born. Now these priests came up with the answer, the correct answer, by quoting the prophet Micah, who pointed us to Bethlehem about 700 years before Jesus was born there. And this is really interesting, right? These, these teachers of the law and these priests, these Pharisees, have just heard that the Messiah has been born. And so they, they, they look at the scriptures, they think about it for a second, the ones who have dedicated their entire lives to God and to his word, the scriptures, the ones who make their living from teaching about God's law and his prophecies about the Messiah, do nothing, right? They do nothing. They don't investigate. They don't search uh, the Messiah out. They don't look, go looking for Jesus. They just say, ah, He's over that way somewhere, 
<laughs> he's he's over there. Right? Seriously, that's the best they have. He's over there. Right? Imagine for a moment that that you are the president of the Justin Bieber fan club in Fairfax County. And I know for some of you that may be too painful for you to even conceive of, of doing, right? But pretend you are, right? But just try, right? Pretend you're the president of the Fairfax County Justin Bieber fan club. And imagine that Justin himself sent you an email that he is going to do a free concert at Eagle Bank Arena in Fairfax. And, and he wants to know, while he's here, where should he stay? And as his biggest fan in the entire world, you respond with an email telling him to try the, the Holiday Inn or something. Right? And then you, you just go back to work. Right? You get back to business as usual and you forget about his coming, about Justin arriving for this concert. Now, we all know that if the real president of the Fairfax County Justin Bieber fan club received that email, she, most likely she, uh, would be there, right? She would have hundreds of screaming friends and fans with her. There would be crying, there would be shaking and, and fainting, right? They won't be ignoring. Right? There will be no business as usual. There will only be excitement and action. Right? So listen, Foundry Church, right? The, the priests and the teachers of the law are waiting and teaching about the Messiah, about Jesus, the Savior of the world. That is not just their job. Right? It's their life, their calling. And then, bam. When news comes that he is actually here, that he's arrived, they give Herod the, the biblical answer. And I just head over to Bethlehem. But they don't do anything else about it, right? He's an idiot, right? That's what that's they're dummies, right? Hey, from what I can gather about the Pharisees and these religious leaders, right, I think they were excited about the fact that they were able to search and study and give the correct answer to the king. That's what they were excited about. But it seems like they didn't really care about the Messiah, about Jesus himself, uh, the one they knew uh, so much about. Right? So, so look at it like this there. They were more interested in what they knew about the Messiah than about the opportunity they had to come to know and receive and to worship the Messiah. Think about that, right? And I don't want you to get me wrong here, right? Yes, it's, it's important to learn about God. It is essential to study his word and his commandments, right? But don't make the mistake the teachers and the priests and these Pharisees made where they, they put knowing about God above knowing God. Listen, right? Jesus didn't say, I know my sheep and my sheep know about me. Right? He said, look on your screen, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. All right, Founder Kids, real quick. All right, Founder Kids who are watching with your parents, I want you to read that out loud, that verse, really loud so I can hear you all the way over here in Kentucky. Go ahead and do it. All right, 
Good job, guys. That's awesome, right? Listen, God showed up on Christmas so we can know him and have a relationship with him. Not just on the big day, but every day, even the day after Christmas. So don't let your familiarity with the story or your focus on just getting knowledge steal the treasure of Christmas and who Jesus is in your heart, right? From, from forging your life on him. Now, real quick, uh, let me shift gears and look at another response to the first Christmas from one of the other characters in the story that we read, uh, that you read earlier at home with your family. Right? In Matthew chapter two, verse three, we learned that the king, King Herod, heard that the, the Magi had come to worship the one who had been born king of the Jews, right? And he was disturbed by this. Herod was paranoid and power hungry. He was that type of guy. Now, history tells us that he killed his own two sons because he was jealous of and threatened by their power. So, true to form, Herod pretended that he wanted to worship Jesus. But we see later in the chapter that his plan was to try to kill Jesus, the Messiah. And take, take a look at this, right? Herod's response to Christmas is an extreme example of self-preservation and fighting for the status quo, right? Herod treats the news, the wonderful news of Christmas in the same way he responds to any threats of his power. He tries to eliminate it. Right? While a few of us would actively uh, fight against the Messiah, there is a little bit of Herod in all of us that we need to guard against. And it's just being true, right? Being truthful. Right? It's the part of us that takes from the glory of Jesus in this season uh, by putting our traditions or our own desires above our worship. It's the part of us that elevates our expectations above the needs of of others. It's forging our life on anything other than God. Right? That makes us a little bit like Herod. Right? Think of it like this. And be honest, right? How many of you married couples, you parents got in a fight yesterday because something did not go according to your plan? Right? How many of you started screaming because breakfast was just not right or, or dinner was not perfect or your, your kids did not have a supernatural, magical experience from Disney or something, right? right? Was that just me, right? Did I get in a fight with Christina? Maybe a little bit of an argument. All right, listen. Whenever we demand that things go our way in the holiday, in whatever season, above what God might be doing or what others need, we make a very similar mistake to the one King Herod made on that very first Christmas. Right? I, I love Christmas traditions, but we all need to allow God to adjust our plans however he would like. Right, take, a, take a look at this, right? Part of worship is allowing God to have his way, even when it collides with our preferences or expectations. Right, Herod, this king, was so concerned with keeping control that he not only missed the greatest blessings in history, 
but he fought directly against it. Again, what a dummy, right? Now finally, real quick, right, we take a look at the Magi themselves, right, in this story. Right, despite what many of us sing every year, like we three kings of, uh, right? You'll notice that the Magi were not kings, actually. One of my favorite commentaries, the Expositor's Bible Commentary, tells us that in later centuries, uh, down to even the New Testament times, the term Magi loosely covered a wide variety of men that were just simply interested in dreams or astrology or magic or books uh, that thought to contain mysterious references to the future and things like that. So instead of, of kings, more likely they, they were scholars, professors, and astrologers who had some working knowledge of and belief, a little bit, in the actual Hebrew scriptures. Right? Perhaps they were, they were men who were connected with the Hebrews who, who were deported to or lived in the east somewhere. And the tradition that they were uh, three of them probably comes from the fact that there were three gifts given to Jesus. But it's possible that each gift came from a number of magi that were traveling together or from, you know, one university, if they had those back then. We don't know where they came from, except that it was just from the east. And so perhaps it was as far away as Babylon. Right? We don't know what the, the star was that they followed. Some suggest that it, it could have been a, a sign in the heavens like the, the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn that took place around 7 BC. Uh, some think that it was a, just a comet or a, a, a supernova of some sort. Others believe that it was just purely supernatural. It was a purely supernatural event like the, the pillar of fire or the cloud that led the Israelites through the desert uh, during the Exodus. Right, the, the most amazing thing about the Magi is that in this short account, in this short story, in the book of Matthew, these non-Jewish foreigners with, with questionable religious practices who were just gazing at the stars were the only ones who responded appropriately to Jesus' birth. And so it serves as a very stark reminder for those of us who are in the church and consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus or forging our life on him to ask ourselves this question. Are we like the Magi, focusing on our worship, adoration, and gifts for the king? Or are we so familiar with the, the story that our, our wonder has been lost or even sacrificed or stolen, right? That is what it's all boiling down to. This, this, this whole Sunday at home, worship at home. Well, we might expect those outside of the, the Christian faith to miss the real meaning of Christmas, and we can't be mad at them when they do that, right? Will we, though, make certain our hearts stay focused on what this season truly means what we just experienced the last few days truly means right when the the magi saw the child with his mother they bowed down it says and they worshiped him and then they they opened up their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh now we know nothing else about the magi 
right? But but take a take a look, right? But we do know that in light of what God had done, right, and, and Emmanuel, Christ with us, God coming into this world, in light of what God had done, their response is the only one that makes sense. It's the only one that makes sense, right? If you want to guard the meaning and the wonder of Christmas, not just on Christmas Day, but for all of the year, I suggest that you start with worship. You start with worship, right? That should be our complete focus for a new year, not just for ourselves, but for our families as well, right? There is nothing that centers our hearts and our minds and our strength and our souls on what really matters like worshiping God. All right, take a a look at this. We don't worship God because he's in need of it. We worship God because we are in need of it. Giving giving him praises that he's due reminds us of who he really is. Our worship fuels and feeds our gratitude. Our worship brings us back to the grandeur, the grace, and the greatness of God. When we worship, we experience a a deeper connection with God and we we forge all that we need, all that we are on Him. We can can plainly see that that the teachers of the law, the the Pharisees, should have known better. They knew about God, but they didn't seek to know Him personally. We can easily tell that Herod chose the wrong thing. It's it's ironic that as Herod tried to prop up his greatness, he chose the lesser thing. His his own power could never match the power of God. His his own uh, place and position could never compare with the presence of God in this world. And the Magi, on the other hand, they, they show us that uh, there's a way to make the most of our life, especially as we end one year and we start another. Right? Look, we worship. We forge our life on God. But there, there are hundreds of passages in the Bible that have the word worship in them. And the common theme that runs through the majority of them is the idea of giving preference to God and laying what we have and who we are before him. Right? There are a number of ways to do that. Right? Here are just a few that come directly out of scripture. In the Bible, people, they, they worship, as they're forging their life on God, they, they worship God by bowing. By laying face down in prayer, by by lifting hands and clapping and serving in the church and and serving the community, by by making sacrifices people worship, by trembling in fear of the great and mighty God, right? By singing joyfully and and thanking God and giving gratitude to God. Uh, People worship in scripture by giving, by kneeling, by by shouting and singing in gladness and confessing their sins to one another and to God. By exalting and dancing and responding in spirit and in truth. That's listening to what God is telling us to do and then doing it. It's listening through his word or through a, a local church like the Foundry or through his spirit that is alive and active within us as we forge our life 
on God. Listen, the Magi worshipped through their gifts and offerings. Uh, the shepherds that we've talked about a couple weeks ago, they worshipped through proclaiming the good news. Uh, the angels worshipped through, through song. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, worshipped by just pondering and meditating on all the events that were happening. She just put them in her heart and she thought about them and, and looked to the glory of God. If we do anything in response to Jesus, Emmanuel, let's remember what God has done and give God his due. He is worthy of worship. Right, the, the magi, the wise men, worshipped the king. It was not because they were supposed to or because he required it, but because their hearts demanded it of them. And that's where we are. Right, The magi, they, they encountered the word who became flesh, God with us, and they were never the same again. All the more. All the more, as this year draws to a close, let's seek God and give him the worship and the praise that he rightly deserves. Right? May he meet you in your gift and may you find him like all the wise men do. And so what we're going to do right now is we want, you to, we want you to finish off this video. It's going to end here in just a second. And what we want you to do is we want you parents to take an opportunity to lead your family in communion. All right, grab some, some juice and wine or crackers and bread. And, and remember that the juice represents Jesus' shed blood for us. That, that this baby who came grew up and paid a penalty that we could not pay by, by going to the cross for us. That, that the bread represents his broken body for us. And we want you to lead your family in communion. And then we want you to take a moment today and we want you just to sit down. And we want everybody in the family to think of a way that you can continue to worship as a family this coming year. In addition to coming to the Foundry each Sunday and worshiping as, as a local church, right, as a community, which we're commanded to do in Scripture, how are you and your family going to worship? Maybe it's, it, it's keeping a list of, of gratitude, so every night at dinner or once a week, right, you, you, um, you write down the things you're thankful for, right? And you just write them down and you thank God for them. Maybe it's, maybe it's having a family devotional where you study his word uh, every night or once a week even or, or however it works for you. Maybe it's, it's once a month you guys are going to go serve together in some way. You're going to go work at the food pantry here at the foundry or you're going to go to another community organization like Assist Pregnancy Center or, or the Capital Area Food Bank and you're just going to serve. You're going you're gonna to go help your neighbor who's a shut-in and, and bring them food and dinner once a, once a month or whatever it is. I want you to be creative and we want to help you. We have books that are family devotionals that you can do once a week or every night. We have, we have ministries that you can partner with. We want you to figure that out. And we want you to do it this year as you are forging your life on God. All right, so take communion. Remember, remember that Jesus came into this world for us. All right, celebrate that. Remember that. And then figure out how you're going to worship together this, this year as a family in addition to what we do at the Foundry. How are you going to worship? All right, we'll see you next week here at the Foundry Church.